So in Acts chapter 13, one of the things that we see is we see the separation of Paul and Barnabas into the separation. Here they're being separated and ordained uh, to go. Right after this they uh, received the Macedonian call. This is the ordination for them to be apostles. In front of this, uh, Paul was teaching and uh, he was basically operating as a teacher. It's what we see. And then right here you see that Paul is separated and ordained. But how did this occur? What was the setting for this to happen? So we see here, uh, verse 1, Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, I uh, hope I said that right, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. I feel like no matter what I say, it probably didn't have a southern twang to it, so I probably didn't say it right no matter how it actually is said. But uh, anyway, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now what's interesting is we know the rest of the story, right? We know the rest, uh, the rest of the story is that Paul went on. Uh, he operates as an apostle. He plants all these churches, and uh, then he wrote basically half of the New Testament. And uh, so Paul's got quite a ministry. I mean, this is a powerful ministry, so you, you got a good namesake, Paul. Amen. And uh, he, has, he has quite a ministry from this point forward. Uh, but here today, in what we just read, is where it's launched. Right here today is where his ministry is basically launched, where the Holy Ghost separates him and anoints him to go and do this ministry. And where did it happen? It happened... While they had set themselves apart to minister unto the Lord. And that's what these services are about. When we said we wanted to have these Holy Spirit services, we wanted to set about a time where we can come and say, all right, we're going to come early in the afternoon and uh, we're going to let the Lord do what He wants to do and however much time He wants us to take. We're not, you know, because sometimes what happens is it gets on a weeknight and it gets towards, you know, 8, 9 o'clock o'clock at night and all the parents are going, man, i got to get my kids in the bed. And so where's their heart and where's their mind? Their, their heart and mind is at home already, not here, not ministering to the Lord. But look at this, what it says here. Look at what it says. It says in verse 2, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And when they had fasted and prayed, and they laid their hands on In other words, what were they doing? They were spending time ministering to the Lord. Now this word here means that serving the Lord. Matter of fact, let me, let me look it up and just uh, read what the original definition of is here. Acts chapter 13. This is not what I was planning on preaching, so this is... We're just talking right now. Amen. <laughs> we're, we're, just, we're just talking. So while they were ministering to the Lord. So the original word there is a Greek word. And uh, liturgio. So that's where we get the word liturgical. 
And uh, it's, it's the Greek word, is the number is uh, Greek, G3008. To serve the state, to perform religious service, to minister ministering, uh, to be a public servant, that is, to perform religious and charitable functions, worship, ob- obey, relieve, or take uh, take the weight off to relieve like you'd relieve weight or relieve a burden in that way. Uh, Thayer's definition is to serve the state at one's own cost. To serve the state at one's own cost. In other words, all right, Lord, I'm coming here today. We should do this in every service. But specifically this service, like we make this our purpose. Father, we're coming to you during this Holy Spirit service to minister to you, Right? And, and will he minister to us? Well, yeah, that's who he is. That's, he's going to do that. But what are we doing? Why are we here? We're here to minister to him. We're here to say, Lord, I'm, and, and here's the thing. God relieves you of stuff. You, you don't really relieve him of too much stuff. However, what we do is when we set our heart to serve him, to worship him, to give him us, that is serving him. That's how we do it. Lord, here I am. Here we are tonight, Lord. Here we are. This is, this is who we are. We're coming to worship you and to serve you. And literally what happens is as you grow yourself uh, in the things of God, you serve him and you, you're serving his purposes. In other words, it's, it's kind of like this. If, if Here's how you can relieve God. Right here, here's how it is. Let's say that he, you know, he called Johnny to go and win souls and and to be a good Christian and to live that life. But then let's say Johnny doesn't do it. Right? Well, doggone it, Johnny, golly. And uh, and so let's say that he doesn't do it. And then all of a sudden he said, Hey, Jared, uh, I want you to go do that. And so where where it's not happening over here, right? Jared, well, I'll do that. I'll do it. I'll, I'll do that. And that, that's how you relieve it. In other words, Lord, I will pick up what you're doing. I've heard it from many great men of God. Uh, most every, every man of God that I've ever seen or, or woman of God that's walking in what God called them to do and they have a great ministry, almost every single one that I've ever seen, uh, I've heard them make a statement that says, you know what, what I know I wasn't the first one that... Uh, that had this calling. Tell me if this thing's cutting out again. Is it? Well, give me the other mic. Goodness gracious. Call Tim. Amen. All right. So many, many people of God, when you uh, when you talk to them, they'll say, I, "I know the Lord told me I wasn't the first pick. I wasn't the first choice here." Now, it's not necessarily like you know dodgeball. It's like you're the third. Uh, oh. Yeah, I'll take them. Oh, come on. It's not like that. It's more like, you know, it's, it's like more like this. It's more like, hey, I didn't even know the game was going on, but I'm here now. And God says, yes, come on. You know, hey, I just, I just showed y'all playing dodgeball. Can I play dodgeball too? And he says, yeah, yeah, come on. And all of a sudden you step in and you realize I'm filling in where somebody else was supposed to be. I know that for myself as well is that. I, I know that there were other people in front of me that had the call to do what we're doing here in Albemarle now. I know that. Uh, I'm aware of it, and um, I don't know exactly how many, but I'm aware of that very clearly. All right. So what happens is 
we relieve the things of God by being obedient to Him. And we minister to Him by picking up our responsibility as a Christian and being in our place. So literally, while you're sitting here listening to the message tonight, you are ministering to the Lord by receiving what He has for you. And then as you take what he has for you, you let it change you, and then you go on, all of a sudden you move into the place where now you're ministering to the Lord by letting him minister and change you. Because the more he ministers and changes you, the more you look like Jesus, the more you are the hands and feet of God, you see? And so this is how we minister to the Lord, is we basically take ourselves, put ourselves on the altar, and present ourselves to the Lord. So he says, to serve the state at one's own cost. You remember when David said, no, I won't present something to the Lord that I didn't pay for right? There's this story in the Old Testament. He's like, no, I'm buying this field. And the guy said, I'll give it, I'll give it to you. He said, no, I'm going to pay for it. In other words, you're saying, Lord, you're worthy of me paying whatever it cost. You're worthy of me. I'm seeing now that the Lord, this is the offering message. I did not know that when we started, but I'm, I'm picking up on it. I was a little slow on the uptake, but Nicole said, are you doing the offering message? I said, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't have any leading yet. But all I know is I got up here and he said, go to Acts 13. And the last thing I thought that was going to come out of this was an offering message. But here you go. To serve the state at one's own cost. God is worth us paying the price of whatever it takes to serve him. Of putting our life on the line and saying, Lord, I'm yours. And if you think about it, think about it like this. Without Jesus dying for you, what do you have? Without God, I don't even have breath in my lungs. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I don't have health. I don't have ability. The word says over in James, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turning. If I don't have God, I've got nothing. And if every good and perfect gift comes from above, right? All right, so, so watch this. Uh, I, picked on, I picked on Johnny earlier. Let's pick on uh, Paul. Amen. Let's pick on Paul. All right, so... Come here, Paul. I don't know that this is picking on you. I think it's picking more on me. But um, anyway, so I'm sitting here, and God adds good and perfect gifts to me, right? And when he adds good and perfect gifts to me, all right, stand behind me. All right, so now all of a sudden, if he adds strength to me and it's spiritual strength, then you can take my arm and, all right. Now, I'm strong, but am I strong on my behalf? No, God's helping me. He's added something to me, right? Every good and perfect gift. Every good and perfect gift, right? Now, watch this. Here's the thing. If you take away every, listen, every good and every perfect gift, if you take it away, how much good and how much perfect am I left with? None. So outside of Jesus, what am I adding to the equation? Nothing. 
I've got nothing. So you take God out, the, you know, you take God out of our lives. You've got to understand, the reason this world is still turning is because God reigns on the just and the unjust. In other words, the, the, the people that have not received Jesus as righteousness, the only reason why the world is still revolving is because there's a remnant of the salt and the light in the believers. And as he pours out his blessing for his believer's sake, it also rains on the just and the unjust. In other words, what we've got to understand is we think that we're doing all of this, and it's all God. It is all Jesus. It is all him. Thank you. So when I, when I think that I'm coming in here and I'm bringing, you know, me, I'm, I have arrived at church tonight. Uh, glory to God. Did everybody see me walk in? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're not bringing anything. We couldn't even walk in the door without Jesus. The ability to stand and strength is Jesus. To breathe is Jesus. To is Jesus, right? The ability to choose. Like, well, I chose to be here tonight. Well, well, good job. God gave you the power to do it and the will to want to choose it. It was Jesus. Now, yes, we make a choice, but he empowers our choices, you see? We have a free will, but he helps us make those right choices. It's who he is. It's all Jesus. Every good and perfect gift is Jesus. So if God's adding Jesus to us, if he's adding all these good things to us, then what in the world should we withhold from him? We wouldn't have anything without him. In other words, you take Jesus out of the equation, I got nothing. I got nothing. So it, it, it lends us to this, is to say, okay, I got nothing without you anyway. The only reason I have anything is because of you. Whatever I have is yours. It's the only, it's a, the only proper response of faith according to what has transpired. After, after all of a sudden we start to see, look, I got nothing without you, then I should basically say my life is yours. Which makes perfect sense because if Jesus planted himself, if he's the seed, and remember the seed is the word and in the beginning was the word, I mean all of this lines up with scripture. If he's the seed who gave himself to fall to the ground and die and give himself to the soil, then there's a fruit that should arise, right? And the fruit, the harvest that the father reaps is the seed that he gave and sowed. So, in other words, what I'm saying is this, that when the Father gave Jesus as the seed into the world, he has a right to receive a harvest of the sons and daughters of God. He has a right for us to say, hey, here's my life, I'm giving it to you. Well, then, that's when, it's amazing because he has a right to it, but then he still gives us that choice, and it's got a lot to do with love because if we don't give ourselves in love, in other words, it, well, it's kind of like this. If I walk up and I tell, and I tell Jared, uh, hey, give me all your money, right? Well, he may give me all his money, but it's not going to be in love. This is not going to be love motivating him. It's going to be pressure. I'm forcing a choice on him. 
So if God came down and said, love me, and all of a sudden he like programmed him to love, there's no love in that. That's not love. Love involves a choice. So God gives us all of this good stuff, and then he says, will you choose me? Will you serve me? Will you give me the harvest of your life that you wouldn't have without me? And then not only that, but when we choose to give him our life, he's like, I'm a rewarder. You must believe that he is and that he is, Hebrews eleven six. that I'm a rewarder of them that diligently seek me. So it's like, you can't even, it's like every time you try to give it away, God just brings it back to you. He just keeps empowering. You can't lose with God. You can't lose. It's like, I'm trying to give it away, Jesus. I'm trying to give myself to you. And he just keeps blessing you. It's, a, it's like, God, you're, you're so good. I want to say you're too good, but you're not. You're just being you. You're awesome. You're amazing. And so he gives us that choice to go after him, and, and he deserves that choice because he planted the seed of Jesus, and he deserves to have a harvest, a fruit of Jesus. In other words, Jesus was the firstborn of many sons and daughters, of many, many brethren, right? And all of a sudden what he's saying is, look, he deserves to reap everything I can give him. So we need to approach life with that attitude. Look, this life, and you see uh, wording like this, this life here, it's not mine. Yeah, I think it's Paul that says, I'm a slave. And, and it's not because, not because God made him do it, stuck a gun to his head, forced him into it. It's because he said, because he loved me so much, I can't do anything else. My heart, I've got to give it to him. Lord, I love you. I make myself a slave and a servant. I make myself that. Even though I'm a son, I, I make myself. Lord, everything you say, I will do. Everything you say, I'll do. I, I'm here. I'm the clay. You're the potter. Mold me. Turn me into your masterpiece. This is, should be the cry of all of our hearts. Turn me into your masterpiece. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. Whatever you say, anything, until it comes to giving in the offering. That's, that's where a lot of people stop. It's like, oh, oh, hold up now, preacher. Wait up. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, I'll, I'll do it until you tell me to go talk to that person that makes me uncomfortable. Then I'm not going to do that. You know, that's crazy. Wait a minute. Did, did Jesus give every, all of his everything? then shouldn't he reap everything here? Yeah. In other words, we, there's nothing that we should say, well, I'll do this, but I won't do that. Nothing. Nothing. Y'all know the story about Nicole? And, and don't, don't tell God, I, I'll do everything but this. That's a bad plan on your part. That don't work out very good. There's actually spiritual reasons why that works like that, but... Y'all remember the story of Nicole when we were first dating? And many of you have heard it. But we're dating. We go to a business meeting. I'm like, you know, hey, you know, I, if I take you to this, you know, adult business meeting, when they smile at you, you need to smile back and say hello. 
Now, I'm thinking that she understands this and that she's good and she's on board with it and everything like that. And so we get there to the meeting and we walk in and, and, and we're dating. And, and I, say, I say, hey, so when they say something to you, just say hello back. And she went. <laughs> I was like, oh, boy. Oh, man. I was like, all you got to do is say hello. She's like, I see the eyes, the alligator tears welling up. I see turns flush. You know, she turned, she's like, I can see fear grip her across. I'm like, all you got to do is say hello. That's it. That's all you got to do. This is not, like, I'm not making, I'm not exaggerating right now. This is, am I? No. I'm like, I'm like, like this. Here, put your bubble down. I was like, um, Okay, come on with me. Let's go to another room. <laughs> and uh, because I could see in just about 20 seconds, she's not going to be able to withhold it any longer. It's going to explode right out here in the lobby with everybody sitting around that we're supposed to be, you know, being nice to. And that's going to put pressure on them, and you're going to feel bad. And so we exited stage right to another room. And all of a sudden, you know, my point is, she was never raised to be social. Never. Never. Ever. Never raised to be social. So much so that, like, she was boo-hoo, bawling, crying in that room, in that little conference room off to the side. Boo-hoo in. <laughs> boo-hoo in. And I was like, oh, gracious, are we even going to get in the meeting tonight? I don't know right now. I, I'm not sure, right? And we were just dating. And uh, so about that moment, about that time, I'm like, you know, I think it was later on I was thinking, I'm pretty sure at some point I am called to preach. It, Well, God doesn't tell you everything either before that's the, <laughs> and so anyway, I thought, well, this will be interesting. <laughs> How interesting. And so anyway, <laughs> but what she said is, you know, she, she's born again. She's brand new in the Lord. And she said this, she said, Lord, I'm yours. You planted yourself. You gave your all for me. I'm giving my all to you. I'm giving my all. Listen, to serve the state at one's own cost. Yeah. I'm going to give you, I'm going to relieve you. I'm going to take up whatever position you need me to take up. I'm going to be obedient to you. I'm going to minister to you. I'm going to serve you, Lord. I'm going to give you me. And me means all of my thoughts. Give you me means all of my thoughts, all of my thoughts, all of them. I give them to you. I don't have a right to them. I give you me, all of my actions, all of my choices. This is what it actually means to make Jesus Lord, that I'm not the boss anymore at all, nor do I have the right to make choices unless he gives it to me directly. I've gone to him sometimes and asked him for some things and said, hey, you know, what do you want to do in this situation? He said, that's up to you. You choose. I, I've seen that. That, doesn't, that hasn't happened a ton of times. Most of the time he has. But sometimes he said, choose what you want. You can do either one. 
That's, that has happened. So he will give you choice, but especially as you learn to lean on him in love. But generally, he's got a big plan that we are the ones who play out that plan. We are the hands and the feet, and he's looking for people that will be obedient and do what he's asking them to do, not only in their actions, but in their words, in their thoughts, and everything. This is what it means to make him Lord. He's the Lord of my life. When we confess Jesus as Lord, it's not just lip service, but it's a, it's a confession of the heart that says, I'm yours, I'm yours, I'm yours. It's ministering to the Lord. It's, it's giving him everything that he wants. That he desires. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Many will say, Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say. In other words, making Jesus Lord is saying, Lord, I'm yours. And what, what Nicole did was she said, I'm going to serve you, Lord. Lord, I'm yours. You've done great and mighty things for me. Who am I to stand in the way of what you can make me? And then all of a sudden she said, you know, I'm yours. And, and before long, of, you know, within a few years, all of a sudden she'll talk to this person over here and talk to this person over here. And she did want to cuss me out when I told her to preach one day when I was not feeling well. Um, but she got over that because she needed to because she was about to preach. And um, that was our first year in the house. I wasn't feeling good one Sunday. I said, she said, you need to get up. It's time to preach. I'm like, I'm not getting up. I was like, you preaching. She was like, ooh, I can feel it. She was putting off a fire that day. I'm like, well, she's going to have to get over it because I can't even think straight right now, you know. And, uh, you know, ten minutes later, she preached through five pages of notes. And um, that's a... <laughs> She buzzed through those notes. Well, I don't know that you had notes because you didn't know. <laughs> so anyway, all of a sudden now you see her ministering in large places, and there's an anointing of God flowing through her. Why? Because she stopped trying to control her own life and let Jesus come in control. And there was something inside of her that God knew the whole time that she didn't even know that was inside her. There was a plan of God that was written in her DNA from the time that God thought about her and knew her from the womb, from the beginning of time when he saw Nicole Wright. He said, this is who I've called to be. This is the anointing. And, and he probably called Gabriel and Michael and, and, and Jesus into a room to watch the replay of her crying in that conference room like, what, look at what she is now, and look at what she's going to become. Like, can you all see this? Just wait. Give me a few years and watch what comes out of that. And I don't know, maybe Gabriel was like, really? Lord, like, that's a long way to go. And, and God's like, I know. And she's going to be my masterpiece because she gave herself to me. She's going to be one of my masterpieces. She's going to relieve the burden of ministry from what needs to be done, I'm going to be able to count on her because she didn't just stick with who she was or who, that's just not who I am. No, she said, Lord, I'm yours. She put herself as, as clay in the hands of the most gifted potter there is. And God said, watch what I can do. Are we doing this? Are we paying whatever price we need to pay are we doing this with our lives are we doing it with our choices are we doing it with our thoughts are we doing it with our finances are we doing it with our faith 
You know, many times when we're talking about overcoming like we were this morning, many times what happens is we get into the place and all that pressure starts to come on and, and we won't give God our faith. We're not, we're not putting ourselves as clay in the hands of the potter with our faith. We're just like, this is too much. I can't take it. Just like she could have said and lived the rest of her life. It's just too much. That's not what I'm called to be. But no, when you hand yourselves over to God, you just say, Lord, you know what I can handle and what I can't. And you're faithful. And I trust you and I'm putting myself in your hands as the master craftsman. I'm putting myself in your hands. And so are we doing this in every area of our lives? Are we serving God with our lives or are we just telling God who we are? Eh, how prideful. And I've been that guy and we've all been that person. But how prideful for us to tell God who made us and knows what's in us wh what we're made of. This would challenge us. And it goes to the same thing when you go to offering. Well, God, you, I, don't, I don't know that. I ha, I've got to pay a bill by Friday. Like God don't know. Like, like God's like, uh, duh. That's what I'm trying to do is get you to get seed in the ground so that I can. And because when you do that, it demands a harvest. In other words, you've got a right to a harvest. I'm trying to give you an opportunity and you're fighting me on the opportunity give you an example some of you've heard this story uh but one year i went to a meeting and uh while i was at this meeting the guy was preaching it was a decent message and everything uh but i was sitting there like i don't even know if i like this guy like he might be a shyster i'm just not sure i don't know I don't know if I like them or not. Well, then the offering time came, and uh, I remember we had um, I think we had like two hundred and forty five dollars in the bank at that moment. And the Lord said, and I had a bill coming up at the end of the week, like one fifty or maybe three hundred. It was in other words, I didn't need to be spending any money. And all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost says, write a check for $200. That's all I got. Like, I'm not even sure I got the 245 Like, you know how it is. And when you check it, I'm checking it every day, and I still don't know what's really in that checking account. I know y'all never been there, but we were there a lot during that period of time. And it's like, and I don't even know if I like this guy. And, and you know, what am I doing? I'm, I'm like, oh, God didn't know. God didn't know. I don't even know if I like this guy. He might be just a crook. I mean, he preached a good message, but I can look something up online. I mean, I can read notes off, and I knew he wasn't doing that, but I just, I wasn't sure, you know. But what am I doing? I, I'm, I'm questioning the Lord now. I'm questioning him. Logicking it out, yeah. And we got to pay a bill by Friday. I, I remember this, that whenever I wrote the check, it put us instantly in the negative towards what I had to write at the end of the week. I, I needed to trust him. Well... I was obedient. I went ahead and I wrote, I wrote the check. I gave the offering, one of the biggest offerings I've ever given at that time. And I told Nicole, I think, uh, I might not have, I might for self-preservation, I might not have told her, I can't, I think I did. And um, anyway, <laughs> I see some grins on some men's faces. They know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so then, you know, whatever happened, we paid the bill on Friday. It worked out. There wasn't like this huge, big harvest. But about five years later, five or six, seven years later, it was, it was a lot longer than I would have wanted to wait. But 
One day I was in a big need, and I remember this one, like I needed $2,000, and I needed it yesterday, or else there's a whole bunch of stuff going to bounce, and now we're multiplying, you know, <laughs> multiplying the debt. And if it doesn't come in, and it's a problem, all of a sudden I'm sitting there, and the Lord tells me what to do. I do what he says to do, and, and that need is completely met. That $2,000 is completely met. And I'm, I just sit there, I was like, God, you had to do this because I don't know how this all worked. I, I, whew, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, do you remember that offering that you gave that day? I said, yeah, I, I remember that one well. He said, yeah. He said, what you just harvested was the seed off of that offering. He said, I had you plant that then because I already knew that this was coming up and that you would have this need. But had you not done that that day, you'd be struggling right now. Because I was writing it on your heart because I could see your life and see where you would need things and, and want things. And this is why I've been drawing you to it. And so what happens a lot of times is uh, when people are actually led by the Lord in their giving and in their sowing, what happens is they're sitting there and here's a minister and he's ministering to money. And as soon as you start talking about money, people start shutting down, not realizing what's actually happening in the spirit is God's opening up opportunity for you to be well supplied, like he said. I want you amply, Paul said, we are amply supplied. God wants us all to walk in that ample, ample supply that he has for us. But how do you do it? He talks about it so many times with money is, is seed time and harvest. Seed time and harvest. In other words, and then he says in Genesis eight twenty two, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest will remain. Which, again, kind of blows out, I always find it funny. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest will remain. In other words, you're not going to have global warming or global cooling because as long as the earth's here, seed time and harvest. You're going to be able to plant something and it'll grow. God's already made that statement, you know. So it's like, yeah, that was in the Bible the whole time. And, uh, but as long as the earth remains, there's a principle that God's put in place in our finances, in our love, in our faith, in everything that we do, seed, time, and harvest. And so what do you do? Well, how much do I give? Well, tithing, uh, tithing is very important. Who was it I was talking to about tithing this week? Anybody in here? I don't know. Anyway, so tithing uh, is one of the things where it's 10% of your increase. In other words, if you increase, uh, you know, if you go up in your increase, then you give the 10% of your increase. And it says in Malachi that he will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. In other words, if things are always just breaking and it's like I just can't get ahead, that's the devourer, right? And, and God says, I'll rebuke the devourer. Now, we live in a corrupted world, but it's like, when we start tithing, things just start going better. Now, the devil may still try to attack you on that, but when we go to that place, he just, you know, when we go to the place of tithing, things just start working out. Things last longer, you know. I had, I had a car uh, one time, and, uh, you know, I wanted the blue car, and, and I ended up getting the red car, you know. You know that story. And but that red car, man, that thing just kept going and going and going and going and going and going. It just, it didn't have any problems. It was blessed. It was favor-filled. God had rebuked the devourer, right? Why? Because he loves us. But it also says this, that he will open the doors and the windows of heaven. I didn't finish the story. 
it, it went, kept going and going and going until Nicole pulled it in the back of a truck. Amen. So that was the rest of the story. And uh, then it stopped. Um, but, see, I, I, wasn't, I was actually not going to tell that this time. Huh? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm up here. I can't lie. So be, be easy. <laughs> It's true, it's true, it's true. It's amazing how fast that guy put it in reverse and slammed into your hood, though. I'm just saying. Just saying. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, he didn't do that. <laughs> wait a minute. So, anyway, love you. <laughs> Praying for you. Meet it. <laughs> so... Anyway, this car just kept going and going and going, and it was awesome. It was favor of God, God rebuking the devourer. And then uh, what it also says is that when you tithe, uh, then he will open the windows and doors of heaven, right? Now, I used to think for a long time that tithing uh, opened the windows and doors and he would pour out a blessing too big for you to hold, right? And I thought, man, as soon as I tithe, God's just going to just... Oh, douse me with it glory to god pennies from heaven hundred dollar bills from heaven i just thought man when i start tithing all of a sudden is oh i feel the glory of god we're never oh amen and it didn't happen like that and i was like what in the world is going on well you know you keep reading in the bible you learn some stuff and uh but what i found out was this is the most amazing thing a window is made to look out of and a door is made to walk through, right? So what he was saying is, I'm going to give you vision to see what you need to do, and I'm going to present a door for you to step through. In other words, just like when he rained manna from heaven, they still had to get off uh, of their blessed assurance and go out and pick it up. Amen. They had to go do something, right? I mean, as long as they sat in their tents going, I sure would like to eat something today. Well, man is right outside the door, dude. Go get you a bucket and fill it up, right? But if you just sat inside going, God's going to pour out a blessing. God's going to pour out a blessing. God's going to pour out a blessing. No, he's going to show you what to do, and then he's going to give you the strength to go and do it. But you've got to decide to, first of all, you've got to open your eyes and be in a place that understands vision and what how God operates in the Spirit that will help you see it, and then he'll strengthen you to step through in that opportunity and receive the harvest. So many times people are sitting there just waiting 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 and wondering why God's not doing it they're not being obedient to what he's told them to do all right so what is the tithe that's what the tithe will do but it's 10 percent of our increase so every place where we increase where we go up you know for us it looks different because we're not all farmers now so we don't see it the same way but basically every every week or every month when we get a paycheck immediately the 10 percent that's our increase 
this month. That's what our increase is. The word says that the tithe is holy and it's God's. It hasn't changed holiness just because Jesus came down. Actually, he says he still receives tithes. And he says, so one of the things that we need to do is we need to make sure that we're given 10% of our increase. So that's what we do and it works. And God opens up areas and opportunities. And opportunities similar to... Um, Oh, gracious. Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus. He heard that Jesus was going to be coming by. So he grabbed the opportunity, and he was not going to let Jesus go by without grabbing a hold of Jesus. In other words, he was saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He had to speak something. He had to say something. He had to do something. This was a door of opportunity, and he wasn't going to let it. At first, they were saying, shut up, shut up, be quiet. And then Jesus says, tell him to come here and then all of a sudden everybody's his friend oh he calls for you go and go up there Bartimaeus is like the public is so finicky sometimes and then uh so that's the tithe so the the tithe opens up opportunities and blessings and rebukes the devourer but the abundance comes in the offering went over and above the tithe so when we give over and above the tithe, God says, I will bless this. Some 60, some 30, some 100. It says here, to whom much is given, much, much and you know, not that one. It says, who sows much will be given much, right? Whatever a man sows, that shall we also reap, right? And so he's saying here, this is where in 2 Corinthians 9, you move into abundance. So many people are just at the tithe, but they're not moving into big abundant overflow because they're not giving over and above the tithe. So some people can say, well, I gave my offering on Sunday. Okay, have you given the tithe yet? No, then that wasn't offering. That wasn't your offering. That was still the tithe. Until you give back 10%, that is the Lord's, you have a choice to return it to him. You're still in the tithe. Right? You're still giving time. But as soon as you give 10% of your increase, anything above that is the offering. And that's where the abundance is. And so what happens is many times we're sitting there fussing, fussing, fussing over money. We want to be blessed. And it's kind of like, you know, if we think that we're supposed to be poor, why are you going to work? Like you're fighting God. If, if poor is going to make you humble, then stop going to work. Now, see, that's crazy. Y'all don't even know how to respond to that. Like, like, I don't even know what to say. But it's not poor that makes you humble in that way. Poor makes you broke. God wants you blessed. You're blessed to be a blessing. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. You are blessed to be a blessing. You're blessed to carry something, to overflow. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life to the full till it overflows. He said he was made poor so that you might be rich. We talked about that this morning. How it wasn't talking about spiritual. It was actually talking about material. But even if it was spiritual, then you can go over into 3 John 1, verse 2. And it says, beloved, above all things, above all all things above all things I wish that you prosper and be in health even as you soul prospers even as you prosper spiritually so no matter how you cut it or where you come from God wants you to move in these things why because out of an abundance you can have an abundance to do every good work 
So what happens is many times people don't know these things about God. They don't know that they, that they are designed for increase, that God wants them actually to increase. And so they start talking about money and people get like, ah, I hate to preach it, talk about money, you get money, 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 money. And, and you know what? And Jesus did it too. Like, first of all, we're following a good example because he preached more about money than anything else. But I think I know some more why he did that today is because this. Because money and finances is like Christianity 101. It can teach you. It's one of the best teachers of the kingdom of heaven. Like if you want to see how the kingdoms, the spiritual principles of the kingdom work, money will teach you those principles. You can see it with money, like one of the examples we had this morning that I talked about. But you can see it there. But God says this, basically, he said, if you don't understand how basically to give and receive and take care of finances, how then will I give you the true riches of the kingdom? So you can start to see that God wants us to get on top of finances and understand them, understand the flow concerning giving and receiving. Why? Because once you understand that, then you're qualified to move into the true riches of the kingdom, dealing with the power and the glory of God and the might of God and being able to release those things. So it's one of those things where he doesn't want just preachers to be uh, to know about finances in the kingdom. He wants every believer to be walking in the place where they understand and they're walking and living in an overflow. Now, this seems like a simple message for many of you because you've been here for some years. But it's, it's a thing that we need to talk about on a regular basis because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. But see, so how do I know how much to give? Well, number one, you give your tithe. And number two, you present yourself to the Lord to serve the state at one's own cost. He planted his life. Let me give you mine. Father, what do you want me to give? It's that simple. Well, you're doing this big, long offering message so that I'll give a lot. No, actually not. I'm giving you this message so you'll learn how to receive a lot and then so that you will go to God with a more open heart and ear to hear whatever he's saying, be it little or, or be it much. It doesn't really matter to me. Are you obedient? That's what I care about because if you're obedient, you're going to be blessed. If you're obedient, you're going to be blessed. And so you can say, all right, Lord, what do you want me to give? What do you want me to give? I have a friend, uh, Corey, who's up in New Hampshire. He was talking about, you know, a minister came up there and was talking about it. He was talking about receiving back. And uh, my friend was getting upset. He'll tell this story, uh, too. He's like, I didn't like it. He said, I don't even know if I like this guy. But I'm, uh, he's talking about getting a hundredfold return, you know, like a multiplied return on it. He said, and, and while he was sitting there, the Lord said, give Give $10, I think it was. Yeah, it was give $10. And he said, I walked up to the basket, and I'm like, Matt, I don't like it. I'm giving that $10. Well, that's, praise God for his mercy, because that's not the right way to do it. But he put in that $10 being obedient. 
And he wasn't, you know, God was really working with them because if we're willing and obedient, we'll eat the good of the land. He wasn't real willing, but he was obedient, and at least maybe that was hit something, you know. That was, God is so merciful and he's so loving. He said, by the end of the week, I'd received a hundredfold exactly, like exactly $1,000. Somebody wrote me a check for $1,000, and he was like, dang. This stuff works. <laughs> you know, God's word is true. And all of a sudden, his brain opened up and he started to see some things in the word that he'd not seen ever before. He wasn't even given out of a good heart. What he was given out of was obedience. Now, what's interesting is this is I'm not your Lord, I'm not your Savior, and I'm definitely not the Holy Spirit. He is. So, anytime you're giving, not just tonight, anytime you're giving, you just go to God and say, Father, what would you have me to give today? I've been in some services where he says, give more than I felt like I had in the bank account to give. I've been in some where he said nothing. I've seen everywhere in between. All you got to do is just go to God and say, Lord, I'm yours. And is that ever going to hurt you when you go to God and say, I'm yours to command. Tell me what you want me to do. It's never going to hurt you. It's always going to bless you. But yet, many times we will get emotional or in our head over the offering. And then what we're doing is we're not planning it with a good heart. He said, God says, I love a cheerful giver, right? And we're not planning it with that. Whereas we should be saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? What are, you know what I need. You know what I have. Tell me what to do. I'll do it. And then whatever he says to do, you just be obedient. So let's just ask our Father tonight. Lord, what do you want us to do? Lord, we just ask you. We praise you. We thank you. Father, we, we want to make sure that we're serving you and ministering you, no matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. We're serving you and ministering to you. When we understand your heart, Lord, we understand that you are always looking to get a blessing to us. Always. No matter what you ask us for or tell us to do. You are always looking to get a blessing to us. Lord we trust you. We worship you. What would you have us to give tonight? Not just tonight but really for the rest of our lives. What would you have us to give? Whatever it is. We're going to do it. Our heart is yours, our mind is yours, our action is yours, our finances are yours, our faith is yours, our love is yours. You brought every good and perfect gift, whatever you want to do. We thank you for it and we praise you for it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Does everybody have an envelope? If not, just raise your hand. They'll get you one. And this is part of the reason why we give an envelope. You may or may not know it. But guess what? What if you came in tonight and you weren't prepared to give and you might be embarrassed because you weren't ready to give? Well, you still got an envelope and nobody knows what's in it. So it takes all the pressure off. You can go up there and, and give like you're giving a huge, big, big something. But you don't have to have anything in it. You just have to be obedient. 
That's all you have to do is just be obedient. And then, not only that, but that envelope truly is yours. We give it to you. It's yours. It might not cost a lot, but it costs more than the widow's two mites. It costs more than those two mites did. And it's yours. You can throw it in trash. You can draw doodles on it. You can do whatever you want to do with it. But you also can use it as seed to kickstart your finance. And you say, Lord, and now this is mine, but I'm going to give it back to you. So everybody here, when you have an envelope, you all have seed that can start everything off. It can kickstart it all. That's why we give the envelope. I didn't realize that. I just know at the beginning God said, give every adult an envelope. But I didn't know why. I didn't know how. I didn't know what he was doing, but years later, uh, he showed me what he was doing. Amen. Let's just stand up. Just hold up your offering there. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Father, we just thank you. We thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for this offering, Lord. We thank you for your blessing on it. Everything that we're giving, Lord, we receive, we praise you, we love you. Lord, we give it in faith. Let it be pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Lord, this represents our life. Let it be full in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can bring your offering. Jared was showing me a video of a guy bringing his offering this afternoon. He, like, danced for five minutes going up there. I said, yeah, Jared, he might have been showing off a little bit. But anyway, it's funny. We're supposed to have a good heart. We're supposed to have a heart uh, that is so excited to give. We're supposed to be a cheerful giver. Amen. We're supposed to be a cheerful giver. In other words, we're supposed to be excited. I love what y'all were saying this morning, how it was exciting to give. It was getting to the place where it was exciting to give and looking forward to giving. Everything changes in your life when that happens. Amen. Glory to God. Let's just pray for a minute. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Before we jump in tonight, let's go to First uh, Corinthians. Chapter 14. Is that thunder? Man.
Now, I could, let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 6. I just want to tell you a little bit about uh, speaking in tongues. Just for a second. I want to show you something here. Um, I had a situation one time. At this point, I did not know what I know now about it, but I can remember when the Lord really just baptized me with fire uh, back in 2001. Uh, back then, all of a sudden, um, I was just overflowing with the stuff of God and just overflowing with a heart for Him. And uh, I remember, and I was praying in the Spirit before a service at our church. I was sitting up in the balcony, and um, I was praying in the Holy Ghost. And um, all of a sudden, these, this phrase came to me, and, uh, and I thought, man, I know this phrase. Like, this phrase is familiar to me, but I don't know what it is. Like, but I know I know it. I know I know this phrase. And, uh, I, and it was the uh, Lama Sabachthani, um, where Jesus says, you know, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani. They thought he was talking to Elijah, but what he was saying was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it gives the original. So over in the Gospels, you can see that. Well, the interesting, obviously, I'd heard that before. But in this instance, like, I know that phrase. But what is it? I can't, I can't place it. I can't put my finger. I could not. Like, I, I knew I knew it, but I didn't know where from. And, and you might think that that's funny that I, that I didn't know it. But I think the Lord really helped me to see something that day because... As I was praying, I just what I sensed in my spirit was I'm praying over the service that's about to happen, right? And I was just praying in my private prayer language, and I was just praying over the service. Nobody was around, anything like this. Well, then the preacher gets up, and he starts preaching, and he starts preaching the gospel. And as he's preaching uh, in the gospel, and he's talking about Jesus, he actually goes to that scripture, and, he, and he's preaching and quotes that scripture, scripture Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And I was like, oh, there's that phrase. I knew I knew that phrase, but now I know where it's from. I was like, oh, that, why, didn't, why could I not remember that? And what I instantly realized was I was praying out the service, right? I was praying out the service. Now, I didn't know the scriptures that I know today that that was even biblical in that way. I just, I just had a knowing. I knew by the Holy Ghost that that was true. So now, when we pray in the Spirit, one of the things I want you to see, look at uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 17. Or, let's see, uh, verse 16. And he's talking here about praying in the Holy Spirit. And he says, otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, in other words, pray in tongues only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted, or somebody who's not filled with the Spirit, how, how are they not gifted in spiritual things, right? Now, think about that. They're not gifted in spiritual things. How will the person who sits in the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks since he does not know what you're saying all right so it's talking about when you're in public 
having an interpretation and having an understanding of that. And um, now, then I want you to see this. So let's forget just for a second, just for a second, about interpretation. And let's just look, what's the context? What's he talking about here? He's talking about praying in the Spirit or praying in tongues. Can you see that? All right. So he's talking about praying in tongues. Look at verse 17. He says, when you pray in tongues then, for you are giving thanks well enough. You are giving thanks well. Now, and now he's still, he goes then back talking about the interpretation, but the other person is not edified or they're not built up because they don't have the understanding of it. Now, I want you to see this, though, but let's just talk about the tongues portion. When you pray in tongues, you give thanks well. This is the Holy Spirit inspiring Scripture saying you give thanks well. I know one thing that happened to me is, you know, as a pastor, is like, okay, you're praying in tongues. Uh, you're giving thanks well. The Bible teaches me that. It shows me that. Who am I to step in, in front of your giving of thanks in that way, right? All right, well, that's one thing, but there are some. there is some order that we need to pay attention to as far as interpretation, but there's also the understanding of the difference between the gift of tongues and the personal private prayer language of tongues, okay? So uh, what we can see is if you're sitting over here praying in tongues by yourself and it's not giving the gift publicly, then that doesn't necessarily need interpretation. But whether you're operating in the gift or you're operating in a personal private prayer language, it's giving thanks to God well. Can you see that? It's Still, it's giving God thanks well. That's important. So one of the things I've found that a blessing of praying in tongues is that uh, I can give God thanks. If, if I'm praying in tongues, then who's, doing, who's giving the utterance? The Holy Spirit's giving the utterance. I'm speaking out the syllables, right? So I'm speaking the syllables, but what I'm speaking is the utterance of the Holy Ghost. I'm giving God the, one of the highest levels of thanks and praise that I can give. So that's an awesome you know, uh, benefit of praying in the Spirit is that I'm giving him thanks well. Now, one of the things, though, is, as I've noticed this, and I don't know, this hit me a while back, is when we have interpretation of tongues and when we, ha when we have this, one of the things that's important is this. Where in there does it say that I have to announce this is the interpretation? There's no scripture for that. So many times people would have you pray in tongues and then go, here's the interpretation or this is the interpretation, right? All right, but it doesn't say that. Neither does it say that as soon as I pray in tongues, I have to give the interpretation. It doesn't say that. It just says there needs to be one, all right? So then we need to understand. Can you see that? And because it doesn't give us a time and it doesn't say that I have to announce it. It just says that if it's, if it's the public gift is the context, then there has to be an interpretation, right? All right, then it's important for us to then say what is an interpretation and it's not for us to just make it up on our own. We need to go back to the Bible and see what the Bible says an interpretation is. So let's look at that, verse 6. So I'm not going to connect all the dots. I just want to give you some, some things to look at here. Um, so, number one, if we pray in the Spirit or pray in tongues, we give thanks well. Number two, it doesn't tell us uh, that we have to announce the interpretation. 
And number three, it doesn't have to be immediately following it. Okay? All we have to do is we have to have one if it's the public gift or in that way. Now, there's a whole other piece that I could get into that I'm not going to tonight. And matter of fact, this is just a little nugget for you to have. But look at verse 6. Now, I'm not going to connect all these dots. You can see it right in the verses right above that. But basically what it's saying is that prophecy is greater than tongues. And the key word is unless. Unless it has interpretation. When you're in a public setting, prophecy, like I gave y'all a prophecy this morning, right? So prophecy is greater because you can hear it, be built up by it, right? And unless I have a tongue... Prophecy is greater than tongues unless I have an interpretation. Now, what you may or may not know is what you were receiving was not just a prophecy. It was actually an interpretation because as I pray out the service ahead of time, and even while I stepped up here a second ago and I'm praying, and then I come and give you a prophecy later on, that can be the interpretation to that. I don't have to link them. I don't have to announce them. That stuff man's made up, but not the word, you see. I just have to operate in them and flow in them. And then what happens is when I get up here, I don't know what's going on in your life. But when I actually give you the interpretation of a tongues, it equates to on the same level as prophecy. And you know it's God when all of a sudden it touches you like it touched you this morning, you know. I You're... You're in tears instantly as I'm talking to you. As I'm telling you what the Holy Ghost told me to tell you, interpretation of the tongues I was interpreting, all of a sudden it's hitting you at the core. I can't do that by myself. I'd like to say I'm that, I mean, I can make women cry, but, <laughs> but not like that. I, I love you so much. Yeah, y'all, y'all, y'all pray for me good. All right, for all right, y'all want to see me tomorrow. All right, so now, and then you know, so when the power of God's words that are right alive for you hits you, and it's hitting your heart, and then when I'm praying for you, and the power of God's flowing all over your body, that's showing you that this is God moving, not just a guy, you know, not just a man. Now, what's interesting here is, so he's saying that if you prophesy, it's greater than tongues unless you interpret. The key word there is, in, is unless. So in verse 6, you see this. It says, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless... Unless, so see that word links the word in the verse right above it that says tongues is not on the same level of prophecy unless you have interpretation. So what it's linking here is that if I come to you in tongues, it doesn't profit you in the natural realm, okay? It doesn't profit you in that way unless I have an interpretation. And so what you see in verse 6 after the unless is the ways that the tongues can be interpreted. So you see here, so who says, listen to this, who says that the interpretation has to follow it immediately? The Bible doesn't say that. Who says that I have to announce it? 
The Bible doesn't say that. Who says that I pray in tongues? God says that you're going to do this and that and this and that and everything. It's got to be, it has to be a word like that. The Bible doesn't say that. No, what's the interpretation? This verse lines out four ways of interpretation. And you see, what will it profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation? In other words, I, I have revealed something to you or I've shined, shown the light on something. So if, like, for instance, what if, uh, you remember when I first got up here, uh, before I started doing the offering message, I prayed in tongues. I started praying in tongues for just a few seconds, right? And then I gave, uh, I started teaching on tithes and offerings, right? What you know, did anybody have some revelation on tithes and offerings? Did you, did you see some things you haven't seen before? Did God shine some light on some things? That revelation that I spoke in English can be the interpretation. I don't have to announce it. It doesn't have to automatically follow it. But it can be the interpretation. Uh, what if, or unless I speak to you by revelation, knowledge, prophecy, or teaching or teaching revelation knowledge prophecy or teaching these are the four pieces of interpretation this is what interpretation can be so what I was seeing that one day when I was sitting up in the balcony and praying was I was seeing actually that I was about I was praying out in tongues even though there was nobody around me, I was praying out in tongues, and the preacher got up and preached the interpretation. You see? That interpretation can be a word, right? That interpretation can be a revelation. It can be a word of knowledge. In other words, I know something about you that, that I shouldn't know by natural means. God knows it. He's showing it to you. I can remember uh, one time I was praying with... Uh, um, I was actually catching for my pastor, and all of a sudden, the person in front of me, they were a young person, and while they, the pastor was praying over them, I was sitting there catching, and uh, I, was, I was ready. As soon as I saw, I'd been praying in the Spirit, I saw a heart sitting there, and I saw a skewer shoot right through the heart. And I knew that there was something to do with the heart. I, I felt like it was physical, so I leaned up to my pastor, and I said, hey, here's what I saw just now. And he said, well, tell them. And I said, okay. I said, well, I saw a heart, and I saw a skewer through it. And they, I had no idea. They had just, they were a young person, they had just had a minor heart attack like a month uh, before that. I, had, I would have never guessed that they would have had a heart attack. What was that? That was an interpretation of praying in, in tongues. That was a word of knowledge, me knowing something I shouldn't have known about. In the natural, right? This, was, this can also be an interpretation of that. So you see here four different ways. You can have revelation, knowledge, prophecy, or teaching. Can you see that teaching is not necessarily a short word? You know, I can sit up here and maybe I can pray in the Spirit. Here's the other thing about interpretation. It's an interpretation 
right? It, it, it's, it's a revelation of things. It's interpreting it, but it doesn't mean that if I pray in tongues for a minute that you're going to get a minute back worth in English, you know? I might pray in a minute and you get five minutes worth uh, because it might take that many English words to describe what I said so brilliantly in tongues, you know. And, or, there, you know, I might, I might speak in tongues for five minutes and it'd be a powerful thing in one minute in interpretation. So, in other words, we, what we've done is because we don't understand everything in the Spirit, we've tried to encapsulate it and put it in this box. And Scripture doesn't do that. Scripture doesn't put it in that place like that. Uh, we, and we've got one thing we need to do is relax a little bit, you know, and, and say, all right, Lord, hey, this is your service, and you're not going to let things get out of hand. Uh, and there are people that will take things and go out of hand, and they'll get emotional, and they'll think it's God, and it's not God at all. And there are people that uh, think they're move, think they're moving by the Holy Spirit, and they're moving by a demonic force and stuff like that. But in terms of the Holy Ghost, when you go over to Luke chapter 11, the God lets you know, if you go with your heart to God and say, give me the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 11, he's not going to let that thing be counterfeit. And so it's not something that you have to really be concerned of on, in terms of the Holy Spirit. What you have to be concerned with is when you step into pride. Many times, uh, you know, people have been in a service and they're trying, they don't realize that they're in control, that they're in pride, and they try to get up and do something that God's not told them to do. And that's when they really open up some doors. Well, a pastor who knows what they're doing in the Spirit, he's going to recognize those things. Uh, but that means he needs to be gifted in the Spirit. But we don't throw, like I said this morning, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Well, people are going to do it wrong sometimes, so let's just throw it all out. No, it tells us do not forbid. We can't throw it all out. That would be being disobedient to what God said. That would mean that we're not putting ourselves in the hands of God. We've got to trust him and trust him that he'll teach us, he'll show us, he'll be merciful with us. And even if we miss it, he, he'll help us get back on track if we'll give him our heart. Amen? But there's a higher way of doing things. Notice here in verse, when I talked about the verse below, in verse 16, there is in spiritual things a gifted and an ungifted. How can you ever, in other words, God's showing us that he wants us to rise up to the place of the gifted. And if you back up uh, two chapters to chapter 12, it says now concerning spiritual gifts. That word gifts there, uh, you've heard me say it multiple times, chapter 12 verse 1. The word gifts is in italics in most Bibles. That, mean, that means that it wasn't in the original language. So it, you should be able to take it out and it mean the same thing. Our English language and translators put that in there so that we would understand it. But what you see in the original language is, although the gifts of the Spirit are gifts, what he's saying in this verse is, concerning spiritual things, I don't want you ignorant. I don't want you ignorant. I want you to be gifted. I want you to be not in 101 still fumbling over whether or not I should give. I want you to move to the place where you can handle the things of God and the glory of God and you can operate in an administration suitable to His fullness in Ephesians 1. Suitable. And that means we've got to give ourselves to grow in it and give ourselves to grow into that place where we give ourselves to the spiritual things of God. 
God. He doesn't want us ignorant. He wants us living in a place where when we run across somebody and they need something, we can speak a word on the king's behalf, on Jesus' behalf, and all of a sudden everything that they were having trouble with is wiped out. Right? That's not just meant for preachers. That's meant for every believer. The word says in Mark 16, those that believe will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. He said these are signs not of preachers, of believers. Of believers. Doesn't matter how long you've been in the kingdom. These are signs of believers that you are walking in a power and a glory of God. Amen? Doesn't matter how long you've been coming. These are things, but we have to grow up in them. Well, that's what church is for. Church is supposed to, anyway. We're supposed to move to the place where you start seeing some of these things in the Word and you start to grow up in them, growing up to the fullness of the stature of Christ, like it says in Ephesians chapter 4. But if you're, you know, I've been in places before where, uh, you know, we were in a church one time and, uh, then the Lord led us to go, this was some years ago, um, I think when we originally left uh, the first, when we originally left the first uh, church, well I know we didn't do it exactly right because we didn't communicate like we should have, and uh, I went back and repented for that later. Uh, because I found out that was the wrong way to do that. I should have communicated. I should have communicated. But I knew that the Lord was leading us somewhere. Well, I was right in that part. I just did it wrong, you know. And, um, and I, how many of y'all have ever done that? I, I know I did the right thing. I just did it the wrong way. And we, we did that. Well, when we did get into the right place, we stepped into this church. And, uh, man, we were we were making, this was about the same time that we I, gave that offering that I was talking about earlier and we were making between the two of us both of us put together less than 15,000 a year and uh and had Abigail at least at that time and uh or we were about to yeah we weren't making much money and uh we had a full-size Bronco that we had hard time paying the payments on and uh, this new church was 45 minutes away in a V8 Bronco. Man, our offering was just getting to church. Like, we just got, I don't know, y'all Y'all might not have ever been there. That was, I was like, the fact that we got here and got a penny left over, praise you, praise you. Like, oh, man, that thing would suck some gas down, the full-size Bronco, which we found out wasn't real great with, with small kids after later on, too. Um, so we ended up selling that eventually, but it was I did like that Bronco. Yeah, and um, anyway, church was 45 minutes away. Listen, I've heard this. A church alive is worth the drive. We stepped into that church, and it was like we were eating steak because we had not been at the other one it was like why because this it was doing what church does it grows up the body it 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 feeds when you pray stuff happens right when you feel the power of god things are changing hope comes alive you know uh you try to stand up i just couldn't stand anymore amen danny and it, it happened again this morning amen glory to god that was good stuff god's good isn't he yeah amen 
I said, Danny, how you feeling? He was like, I can feel it. My knees are weak. <laughs> I can feel it. And so all of a sudden you start, you got to get in a place that, that knows what they're doing in the spirit. Otherwise, you're going to be every one of us in the place of the ungifted. We need a church that knows. And listen, it's not that we just talk about it. Oh, we talk about tongues, and we talk about the Holy Ghost, and we talk about healing, and we talk about, and we talk about prosperity and finances, and we talk about salvation, and we talk about... No, 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 no. We don't just talk about it. We see it. We see people healed. We see them delivered. We see the miraculous. We see the protection. We see the tires fly over cars after they get lifted up in the air. You know, if you don't know that story, just a couple weeks ago in prayer, the Lord says supernatural protection be this week. I knew something was happening this week. I spoke it, and uh, in prayer we spoke it. That, that week, Colleen's coming home, and a tire flies off of the back of this truck, and it's coming straight at their windshield. And right at the last second, that tire, for whatever reason, lifts up like six inches to a foot and goes over the van. And the kids are in the car going, are we alive? Because they thought they were all about to die. They're going down the highway. Supernatural protection. You see it. You don't just talk about it. There's manifestation. It's important where you go to church. It's important where you're planted in that way. You know, you told me a, a testimony at lunch just today how that same week just, you know, God protected your son in that way. That's, it's awesome. So you need to be at a place that not only talks about it, but they see it. They need to be living it. You know, look at, look at this. I turn to Mark 16. This is not, see, I was going to preach. This is what happens. It's y'all's fault. I'm going to blame it on you. I was telling them at lunch, I'm going to try and finish that message. We're, I'm looking forward to um, this series. There's, there's two more messages at least in the overcoming series. I wasn't going to talk about that part. There's, a, there's at least two more messages. I've, I've only got two identified to wrap up. That's the thing. But then the Lord will give you something, and it's and you got to be obedient because I'm not my own, right? And so anyway, I got two more, and then I wanna. I'm looking forward to getting into what the Marine Corps taught me, what the USMC taught me, and how it re, uh, relates to our walk in Christianity because there were so many parallels there's so much to learn from that so I'm looking forward to that series all right so then uh, here in Mark chapter 16 uh, verse 15 it says and he said to them go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation so now who's he talking to he's talking to his disciples there but it's not just um, you know, it's not just one of those things where he's saying, oh, well, I'm going to tell you this right now and nobody else is ever going to hear this. No, he knew it was going to be in the Bible. He knew that it was going to be here. So he knew what he was talking to was to telling the disciples what to go and teach. This is our commission. And he says it over in uh, Matthew 28 as well. It's our commission. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He who has believed, 
Say it with me. Say, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. He's talking about me. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. And then he says, these signs will accompany, or in the King James, will follow those who have believed. These signs will follow the apostles. These signs will follow the disciples only. No, he, he included us even today with his words by saying, whoever has believed, these signs will follow them. Well, I thought signs were bad. Apparently, Jesus didn't get that memo. He said, these signs will follow. When he says that about the signs, I did that teaching on um, when we talked in the great sermon. If you go back, you can look at because I explained it in there. But basically, the reason why it was uh, wrong for them to seek a sign, they were seeking a sign to disprove him. Not They weren't looking on how to believe. They were looking on how not to believe. When you look at what they were doing, and he was rebuking them for going about this thing the whole way. In other words, he's saying, look, when you come trying to find a reason not to believe, you're trying to, to prove it right here in front of you. You're looking for me to, to not do a sign so you can say, I couldn't do it while I was there. In other words, you're looking for all the wrong reasons. Your heart is wrong. And that's what he was correcting. But then he says here, signs will follow. And then over in Acts it says, and, and signs and wonders confirm that the, the word we preach, right? And signs are a part of what God does. In, in Acts you see it all over the place. They were constantly in amazement, in astonishment. Why? At the signs and wonders that happened. Signs and wonders themselves aren't bad or else God would never get them and give them. And he definitely wouldn't have told us that they'd follow the believers, right? So it's not the signs, it's when we look for that to be a proof instead of believing on his word, right? Believing who he is. They, the signs and wonders will capture, they will capture the world's attention. But here's the other thing, it'll be a proof that God is walking with me. In other words, you know, it's like when I prayed and you said that was shooting all over you today. That was a proof that it's not just me standing here praying for you. That God's working, that there's a spiritual side of it. So then he says this, these signs will accompany or follow those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues. If they pick up serpents and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. That's not saying that you're tempting God by just trying to go pick up snakes and drinking poison. It's saying if you find yourself in a position and, and you got bit by a snake like Paul in the last part of Acts, it's not going to hurt you. It's not, I'll protect you. I'll help you. And, uh, but we got to believe in this stuff. we got to be believing in it as well. He says, it won't hurt them, and they'll lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Keep reading. So then when the Lord Jesus spoke to him, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the, word, the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs. By the signs. He confirmed the word by the signs. Now, I want you to see this. If you're going into a church that's winning souls, that's great. But that's not the only thing a church is called to do. If you're going into a church that's teaching you revelation about the Bible, 
That's great. But that's not all that the church is called to do. If you're going into a church where you grow up in Christ to the fullness of the stature, that's great. But that's not all a church is called to do. If you're in a church where the signs of God are flowing all over the place, that's great. But that's not all that church is called to do. Church is designed to be all of that. They need to win souls. They need to grow up believers in revelation. And they need to be walking in the power. All of these things are the fruit. It's the fruit of believers. And it definitely should be the fruit of church. He said this right here, what he just defined is, can you see very clearly? That is the fruit of believers. So how come we don't see this? How come we don't see that fruit? I mean, when's the last time you heard somebody at work, they prayed for the co-worker and they were healed? How come we don't see it? Did it stop? No, God's still God. He's still the same, same Lord, same anointing. There's only one anointing that's still around and it still breaks every yoke. We don't see it because we don't expect it. We don't, and many of us have not in churches. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word preached. In other words, if it's not being preached, I've been preaching this for years and now people are starting to get a hold of it. They're starting to pray for people outside of these doors, not just here. I, love, I loved your testimony. We were starting in Impact and uh, Miss Natalie. Uh, come here, come here, Miss Natalie. Do we have another mic somewhere? Amen. Come on. One of my favorite people. Amen. You know why? Because she's hungry for God. Amen. She, she walked into here, and I think, you know, I don't know, but maybe the first day or two, her eyes were as big as some of y'all's have been when you first walked in here. Like, what in the world? This is not your normal denominational church. That's true. But we are seeing people grow up in the Lord. They need to be displaying. See, fruit is very, very important. We have to make sure that we have fruit in our lives, right? And fruit of the Spirit. In other words, if you come in here for 10 years and you don't grow in your patience and you're forgiving, then I've not done my job. Now, I might have done my job and you not received it, but I should be helping you to do it. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. So we need the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, right? We need to walk in this. However, you also need to grow up in knowledge about spiritual things. That's a fruit as well, that you have revelation to the fullness of the stature of Christ in Ephesians 4. But you also need to be walking in signs, right? So... You had it. You came in here. You were starting to learn some stuff, grabbing a hold of it. And what I love about Natalie is this. Now, now Natalie, are, are you, are, she's just hungry for the things of God. Are, are you a pastor? No. Are you an apostle? No. Are you a prophet? No. Evangelist? No. Teacher? No. Okay. Just wanted to get, <laughs> all right. Um, do you lead Sunday school? You might have, yeah. yeah. Well, you might have. The, are you doing it here now? I just teach the toddlers. Teach the toddlers, yeah. 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 Not teaching the adults, though. No, no. Teaching no. the toddlers. Mm -hmm. That's yep. good. All right. Are you a grandma? Yeah. <laughs> are you a mom? Yes. 
Are you a wife? Yes. Okay. Are you hungry for the things of God? Yes. Have you been separated and ordained like the Apostle Paul? No. No. But yet, you've, you started listening to this and tell them the story about your co-worker that couldn't get healed. I had a co-worker. She had diverticulitis and had a attack, so she had to go in the, actually have emergency surgery. And she was in the hospital probably about two or three months, come out. They had put like a colonoscopy bag um, on her. And she got out of the hospital and got back to work. And the spot where they had put the colonoscopy bag, it wasn't healing up. You know, and the doctors, you know, I don't know, wasn't exactly sure what they were going to be doing. And um, to try to get it healed up and stuff. And so, you know, I asked her, you know, you want me to pray for you? She said, sure. So I prayed for her, and she came back. I don't remember week, two weeks, I'm not exactly sure of the timeline, she came back and she said, my spot's healed up. I was like, praise God. And I'll, so the doctors wasn't sure about the healing, what they were going to have to do to it to get it to heal, but God healed her. God healed her. Hallelujah. Yeah. So you're not a five-fold minister. No. You're just a believer. Yes. And you laid hands on the sick. They were and healed. they recovered. Glory yes. to God. Uh, recovered where the doctors, they were saying it's not working. Yeah. Hallelujah. Right. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All you did, you figured out who you were in Christ and yeah. you applied it. You're a believer. That's right. mm -hmm. You should be seeing these. Amen. Yeah. Thank you. you sh we should be seeing these types of testimonies, right? This wasn't Sunday morning. It wasn't after worship. It wasn't the pastor that prayed. It was just a believer. Just a believer. The believer. This is supposed to be happening in all of us. Let's see, how many times have we heard this? We've heard it preached here, but outside of here, how many times have we heard that preached? Not very many. Why? Because a lot of times the guy that's up here wants to be the one in the spotlight, and you know, and I've felt that temptation before myself. But it's not supposed to be just me. It's supposed to be all of us. We. We go as believers. We pray for the sick. Believers pray for the sick and they shall, uh, they shall be healed, right? We do these things. It's not just meant for Sunday morning or a Holy Spirit service. It's meant for all of us. So my whole point in this is you want to find a church that's doing all of these things and that is not ignorant in spiritual things, that they understand what's going on. Now, here's the issue when you get to that. It don't look like normal church. But I don't want normal results. I don't want normal results. And guess what? Everybody that walks in is not going to want you know, what you have, just like they didn't hear either. If you look over in Acts chapter 2, you have a very genuine move of God in the Holy Ghost. And in that same place where over 3,000 people were born again, you had people that in the same very genuine move that couldn't be faked because it never happened before. How can you fake something and counterfeit something that hadn't happened yet? Here, then nobody even knows what to counterfeit yet, right? I mean, nowadays, you can have people that they might, you know, do a courtesy fall. Oh, pastor's praying for me. You know, all right? Because they, they've seen it before, you know. But here, here's the thing. They didn't know to do that. They had no idea in Acts chapter 2. And in the same move of God, 
3,000 people were born again on one hand, and on the other hand, people were mocking. You're going to have that. That's the way it works in a corrupted world. So in other words, you know, you have to understand that when you start moving in the things of God, just like Jesus was attacked in different ways, he said, you're going to have them too. You're going to have tribulations. You're going to have things. You're going to have people that see it and don't understand. One of the hardest parts for us when we were first starting the church and trying to do church at the best of our ability was, you know, people would come in and, and it wouldn't look like church that they've always been to, right? It wouldn't look like that. And um, so then they'd leave, and let's say that Johnny and Holly invited their friend, and their friend came, and they're like, yeah, not for me, right? And then they'd go, and then we'd be like, Johnny and Holly would be discouraged. Oh, man, they're not. Well, listen, people aren't going to do that. They're not all going to enjoy it that way. You know why? Because people don't really want to grow a lot of times. They want to stay in their comfort zone. And as long as they're paying their bills and nobody's dying, they're comfortable. That is the trap of the flesh. And so a church like ours, let's turn, I keep quoting it, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. A church like ours is going to challenge you. And if a church doesn't challenge you and challenge where you've been and challenge your comfort zones, it's probably not doing its job. Look, while they're doing that, uh, on the screen, will you put up Hebrews 12, 11, please? You can go to uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8. But if you would, go to Hebrews 12, 11 on the screen just so you can see this. This is, this today we're really talking about some of the basics. We're talking about some of the basics of church, some of the basics of giving. Obviously, I don't have notes. This is all just the Holy Spirit's giving me leading. I think, he, I think what he's doing is he's addressing certain things. Is anybody like, hey, I need to hear that. Anybody raise your hand if you need to hear some of these pieces and put it together. Oh, nobody. Amen. Glory to God. Yeah. These things that, guess what? Even if you've heard it before, what happens is it builds your strength on it. Okay. I need, I need to know this. I need to hear it again. I need to see these things. I want you to see this. This this verse really stuck out to me, uh, I guess, about a year ago. I was reading it, and I went, oh, glory to God. So watch this. You're going to have the same reaction, I know. Uh, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yay! All discipline. Not some of it. All of it seems... Not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Glory to God. How come y'all ain't amening? <laughs> Where, where's the amens on that one? Oh, this is scripture. Now, all right, now what? We'll go ahead and read the, the rest of it. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So now, when we understand in Thessalonians, it says that we have spirit, soul, and body. Every man is a three-part man. The number one part of you, when it talks about you, it's talking about the spirit man, not the person you see in the mirror. That's the body, not the mind, will, and emotions. That's the soul, okay? 
It's, it's talking about the spirit man, the real man, the real you. It says in first and second Corinthians uh, chapter five and I think verse 17, it says that you were made a new creation, right? But the funny thing is now you might have had a smile on your face after you got born again, but if you go look in the mirror, you still look the same. Some of us wish that we'd had a new creation. I wish I'd have some new creation sometimes when I look in the mirror. The good thing is, at least it makes us smile more. The joy of the Lord makes us smile more. But now, one of the things is, but the real you is recreated. That's the spirit man, right? That's the spirit man. Now, what you see here is that all discipline seems to not be joyful. Now, is this the, the spirit uh, is made completely new? And it's made in line with God. The spirit man is made in the righteousness of God in Christ. So is it, is it upset at anything that God does? No, not at all. It's not upset. It's happy about it. So if God brings discipline in, the spirit man's not the one who's not joyful. This is the flesh. Keep that uh, scripture up if you would. So it's the flesh that doesn't like discipline. It seems to not be joyful, even sorrowful. All right, well, we've, that means your flesh is not going to like it when God disciplines you. And then, it, then you see this. It says, yet to those who have been trained by it, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, right? So what you see here is that I know my flesh is not going to like discipline, right? Maybe our flesh, oh, I don't like, I don't like going to church past noon. Well, that is a discipline. Uh, several years ago, the Lord told me, preach longer. I was like, Lord, I'm done. I know they're done. Yeah, I'm done. I know they're finished. <laughs> he said, preach longer. I was like, I don't want to preach. I, right then, my flesh was not being joyful. It was feeling sorrowful. I don't want to preach longer. He said, preach longer. Okay. So I kept doing that. I did that for like a year, right? And it pruned some people. Why? Because their flesh got under the discipline of God because they had to figure out why they were there. Are you there to check a box? Are you there to minister to the Lord? See, when you're there to minister to the Lord, all of a sudden you, all of your priorities change, your why changes, everything looks different. I'm not here just to, to come in and go out at a certain time. I'm here to serve you, to love you, to go after you, Father. Right, And I, the Lord had me challenging that. Here's what this verse is like. It's like God takes his finger, he sees that issue there, and he goes, oh, and right there. That's what you need to fix, right there. Right? That's what discipline does. And, and we're like, ow, ow. He's like, yep, that right there. Right? <laughs> that one right there. And see, that's the way it looks many times when I'm preaching. Because I'm preaching, I don't even know what I'm saying. But I can tell by their faces that God's touching them right in that spot. And, and, and I'm preaching, and they're like, oh. yeah. I mean, it's like, and then many times they can't take it. They just get up and leave, you know. That's the anointing. That's, that's not bad preaching. I mean, I've done it before, but that's not what that is. That's the discipline of the Lord putting his finger on stuff. And, and one of those ways, how many, just, just be honest with me here. How many besides me, because I could raise every hand and foot, when the preacher at some point started talking about money in the, not tonight, not tonight, in the past, in the past, 
a preacher started talking about money, and you start going, I'm I'm uncomfortable. I I wish he'd shut up. Look at everybody. Everybody. You know why? Because that was our issue. That was our issue. And I'm convinced. That's why Jesus preached on it. Now we know that he only preached and only said what he heard the Father said. So I'm convinced that the Father was like, that's their issue. Boom, right on it. And, and so I've learned now, if I'm sitting and preaching, which is not that much anymore because I've given myself to discipline, but I'm convinced that if I'm sitting and preaching and I start like, oh, I don't know if I like what he's saying right now. The first thing I do is I start checking myself. Man, is this, is this my issue? Right? Is this my issue? What's the scripture on that? Is that my issue? See, a lot of people, they won't give themselves to discipline And so they never move to the peaceful fruit of righteousness because they won't submit their flesh to the discipline. What they'll mostly do when they get to that in our society today, well, I don't like how he preached about that. I'm not going back to that church. And what they should do is say, I don't know that I agree with that. Go to the preacher and say, why did you preach this? Where's the scripture on this? Where's the word on this? Why is this in here? But see, that would be humility and not pride. But we've taught people to go and find out if this is the church for them instead of them seeking God and saying, am I to be planted here no matter if I like it or not? You see, it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 18, God has placed the members in the body. And you realize we don't place ourselves. We just decide if we're going to be obedient. That's our choice in it. Am I, going to be, am I going to hear from God and be obedient? But see, what people do is they, they throw away the place and the things God's doing because God put his finger on their mess, and they're like, oh, I didn't like that. And so they keep themselves out of the peaceful fruit of righteousness because they won't accept the discipline of the Lord. But this is one of the awesome things about this as a pre. Well, the, you know why I like this verse? You know why I amen this verse? Well, one, I've given myself to discipline over the years, which is why he probably, part of the reason, called me to be a pastor because I actually did what he wanted me to do in that way. But two, it made me feel better about my preaching. Because then I was like, man, they don't like my preaching. It might not be me. <laughs> it just might not be me. It might be that I'm preaching exactly what needs to be preached, and they don't. And then I started watching it after that, and I'm like, doggone, sure enough, that's what it is. That's what it is. And so when he told me to start preaching longer, I watched. I watched. People were like, people were like this. I, I, you know, noontime, noontime, they'd be sitting there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Noon 05. Noon, noon 15, 12.15. <clears throat> Pulling up their watch, looking at it. Like, you know, all of a sudden everybody's going to the... And I get it, if you got to go to the bathroom, you got to go to the bathroom. But, man, it's amazing. Once one person does it, how many will go? It's amazing how much flesh will take over. See... 
we don't realize how strong our flesh is. Let me tell you how strong your flesh is. Go fast for about three days, and on day two and three, you'll find out just how loud your flesh is. Man, I found out just by preaching to 1230. I mean, people were getting upset. And I'd get one day, I remember, I had preached, and uh, we were starting at 11 then, and um, I preached, and it was like 12.30. I hit 1 o'clock, and the Lord said, keep preaching. I'm like, I don't want to. I don't want to preach long. He said, keep preaching. And what was he doing? He was putting his, his finger right on our issue that none of us, including me, were given to him. So, see, we go to like 12.30 now, like people are like, no big deal. We, we've gotten to the place where, hey, we've put our flesh down, and that's why the power of God can flow at a higher level. See, what he was doing was preparing us to go to a place where when we pray, something happens. Finances break open. When we pray, healing comes in. When we pray, the knees stop working, right? Well, he's preparing us, but how did we get to that place? We had to put our flesh down, and then we started yielding the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So I learned that this is what church actually does. It's not that we do it on purpose. We do it out of obedience. We listen. We pay attention to what the Lord is saying that day. Maybe we want to preach our message, but God says, no, preach on this. That happens all the time, but it's what we need. All of a sudden, that's right where we're at. And we need, we need a refreshing. And let's just say this. Let's say that tonight what I'm preaching... Just think about this. Let's say that everybody in here has already heard all of this, which a lot of you have heard a lot of this, right? Let's say that you've heard it, most of it. This whole section, you've heard it. I'm just, you agree with it. You're trying to live by it. This whole section, you've heard it. You're trying to live by it. No new revelation to you. You've heard it preached before. This this whole section almost has heard of it. This whole section's heard it all. You can amen it. You can even finish my stories, right? But Jared, this message is right who where it needs to be. And tonight, that message is changing his life. Everybody else in here has heard it. But it's going to change his life tonight, that message. He might have heard it a hundred times, but something's different about tonight. He's prepped, he's primed. And the whole service, the whole message, even if we went for five hours, it doesn't matter. He's going to change. Would, would his life changing forever be worth all of us staying hooked up in faith? It, would, it, would that change in his life be worth all of us hearing the message again, even though we've heard it, heard it before? Would it be worth it if we went five hours, six hours, seven? If he changed... Would it be worth it for one person? But see, we'll sit there many times, and we're like, I've heard this before. Like, I know what Pastor's going to say next. He's going to tell this story, then he's going to tell that story, then he's going to make fun of Nicole, and then he's going to call it amen. <laughs> and see, so we're sitting there, and what we've done is we've, we've disconnected. There's not a corporate faith working. 
This is, this is spiritual stuff here. We're learning how to, in prayer. We've got to stay connected in prayer, and we'll hit new levels. And in the service, we've got to stay connected with our faith. What's God going to do? Maybe it's, maybe it's Jared. Maybe it's Paul. Maybe it's somebody else. You know, Who knows who it is? Who knows exactly what God's up to? He can see it all. He knows who needs what. Our job is to say, Lord, you planted me here. I'm going to give myself. I'm going to go in expectation, and I'm going to, I'm going to let you do what you want to do why because you're my lord i'm not moving by the flesh see we've become so accustomed to moving by the flesh that as soon as the devil starts pressing those flesh buttons we just respond ah throw a fit throw a flesh fit <laughs> she, she said mm-hmm <laughs> If you could manufacture that and I could just record it, mm-hmm, that'd be like a sound bite on my phone. Mm-hmm. God will take his finger, he'll put it right on our issue, and then we have a choice. Do we let him fix it and take us to the place of fruitfulness? Or do we complain and run? You need a church. You need a place that challenges you. You need a place that will also support you and lift you up. But it, it loves you enough to not leave you there. This is what I found out about that verse in Hebrews. All discipline. Every time he does it, the flesh is not going to like it. Every single time. Why? Because the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. Every single time. Doesn't matter how holy you are, as long as you got a... a corrupted flesh still attached to you it's going to yell and scream and not like it every single time your flesh is going to squirm but here's the thing about God he disciplines those that he loves he disciplines those that he loves so who in here is he going to stop loving none of us so who in here is he going to keep on disciplining all of us. And how many times is that discipline going to cause our flesh to squirm? Every time. Tell your neighbors, say, I might as well get used to it. But see, if I'll give myself to it, my flesh won't squirm as much because there won't be places for him to grab a hold of what? Oh. If we just get used to, all right, Lord, correct me. Change me. I put myself in your hands as the clay in the hands of the master craftsman. All of a sudden, we'll get to the place. Like I said, I don't, I don't squirm that much in, in messages anymore. Why? Because I've spent years giving my flesh over. There's not, there's not a ton of things. Generally, I've, I've told some of the leaders, I've said, if you knew the things that he corrected on me, you'd laugh at them. Because what happens is you get the major things fixed, and then he starts, he starts working on the little things. And some of the little things are so small to some people, they just think it's funny and laughable because it seems like it won't make a big difference. But those little things, a lot of times, are the difference between 210 degrees and 212 degrees. 210 degrees, you just got hot water. But 212 degrees, you produce power that drives locomotives across the country. 
because it's boiling water at 212. And so those little fine-tuning things can be great big outputs of, of God's power. So what we do is we just say, Lord, I'm yours. I yield myself to you. I yield myself to you. And as we yield ourselves to him, he continues to work and produce and produce. Let's look at this in Ephesians 4. That was my opening. And... Uh, That was so much fun for me right there. And what's even more fun is me now imagining which one of you, after I talked about going longer, going, I'm not sure if he's serious or joking right now. <laughs> That's even more fun for me because you're still trying to figure it out. And to be honest, I'm not so sure myself. So Everybody's like, just laugh at him. Maybe he'll quit. <laughs> Ephesians 4, verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. These are called the ascension gifts, so correct biblical definition. Verse 11, here's the gifts that he's listing. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. So those are the gifts, prophets, excuse me, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Anybody ever felt like that pastor, he don't feel like a gift to me, he feels like it gets on my nerves. He keeps making me squirm with his preaching. That's him being the gift. That's him actually doing his job. He's not trying to do it on purpose. He's just preaching what God told him. If it happens to hit you where you're sitting at, that's on you, not on him. That's his job. It took me 10 years to get used to that and comfortable with it. I kind of enjoy it now. I like watching people squirm. That's a good pastor for you right there. He's been in the saddle a long time. He's like, oh, yeah. Sometimes you're squirming and it's like and squirm, squirm, squirm. He's like, well, let me just get the anointing closer and watch it, watch it really take off, you know. <laughs> And that happens too. Not that, like I said it as a joke, but that's real. I did it not too long ago. I'm not going to tell you when. But these are gifts. <clears throat> now, I, I do want to point out something to you right here. Let, let's say that I took this. Let's say that I wanted to buy Jared a gift. And... Um, Dang it, Jared, I'm not buying you something from Jared's, amen? Yeah, I appreciate it. I was like, if of all the people I could have picked, why'd I use that? Like, I'm going to go, I'm, let's pretend I'm going to give Paul a gift. Not from Jared's. All right. See, now you're squirming. I mean, that was your area. You're working on it. i got to get myself straight. Dang it, Jared. All right, so let's say that I spent some time picking out a gift. <laughs> let's say I spent some time picking out a gift, and uh, you don't have to quench that. That's the joy. <laughs> that's the, see, that's what, that's what religion has taught us to do. 
is to quench the joy that the Spirit, you know, I didn't even think that'd be funny. I didn't even think about it until I said it. But then now, see, that's the joy of the Lord that's coming on her. And what religion has taught us to do is shut that down when that's the very strength she needs to step through the stuff she's got this week to live on top and be an overcomer. So you don't have to quench it. Amen. And that's, see, but people aren't used to that. Because church, their church hadn't looked like that. It hadn't looked like that. I remember Jim Hockaday talking about one time. He said they were in the service and the Holy Ghost fell and, and he was drunk as could be in the spirit, right? He said, and all of a sudden the guy tells me, hey, go to the bathroom, get out of, get out of the spirit so we can worship. Get out of the spirit. That's what religion has taught us, how to get out of the spirit instead of staying in his presence. How about find somebody else to sing? Find somebody else. Let the spirit do what the spirit's doing. You know, the joy of the Lord hits you here. Fine. <laughs> awesome. You're not disturbing me because I've grown up in some of the spiritual things. You might disturb some other people, but let the joy do what the joy does. Be our strength. Amen? Glory to God. God's not sitting on the throne with a scowl on his face. He said, I, I, with people with whom I'm pleased, in Luke chapter 2, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, with whom I'm pleased. He's not sitting up there with a big ruler acting like the school teacher, just, you mess up, let me smack that hand, or, or with a lightning bolt. Go ahead, Jared. Play around, play around. All right. So I got him a gift, not from Jared's. But let's say I got him, let's say I wanted to give him a gift. Let's say that I want to give him a gift. I spend time finding it, praying about it. I spend time working for it, building it up. I spend time going after picking it. It's something special to me. I spent time. Let's say he receives that gift. And then uh, I come back. And uh, two years later, and the gift's still there in the corner where he said it, where I gave it to him. Right? Now, what does that tell me about him? He definitely didn't esteem the gift, but what he really didn't esteem was the giver. He didn't esteem the giver. It shows me, see, I, I had a reason for giving that gift. I, I had sought the Lord on that gift. There's something in there that he may not even know about, but because he's chosen not to esteem it, it's shown that he doesn't trust me, and it's shown that he won't be blessed by that gift. So he doesn't know how much he's missing out on. He's just decided to not esteem the gift. Listen, the ascension gifts... Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, and teacher, they're gifts from God for a purpose and for a reason. Yeah, they're, they're people, and yeah, you got one of them talking to you right now, but that doesn't take away from who they are and what they're called to do. And what God says, they're a gift in your life, but they can only be a gift if you utilize it and you don't set them in a corner and let them collect dust. If they're a proper gift, they'll keep on going no matter if you utilize them or not. So it's up to you whether or not you want to utilize them. But God says, God says, God says, they're a gift. If they know what they're doing and they're actually called, they're a gift. 
I mean, this was back in the um, 90s, 90s now. Think about how much has changed since then. Back in the 90s, they did a poll of pastors in the pulpit. Pastors in the pulpit. A couple of questions that they asked them. One, was the Bible the inerrant word of God? Another question they asked, did Jesus physically rise from the dead? 70% of pastors said no to those answers. 70% in the pulpit said no. What are they preaching? They're definitely not called because they ain't born again. They don't believe those things. They're not born again. So here... And that's, that's like shocking. Like, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine, right? Here's what I'm saying. Just because they're in the pulpit doesn't mean that they're a gift. They're a gift because God called them, separated, and you will see fruit in their lives, not only in their personal lives, but you'll see fruit in the people. I can pretty much call about anybody up here, and they'll have some kind of testimony that they can give you where God supernaturally did something uh, that couldn't be done in the natural. Almost everybody in here, you know. From big things like people being healed to, you know, uh, you know, telling me that I need to get the microphone out of your house because I'm just preached on what you've been talking about all week, right? You know, that's the Lord doing that. That's not me. That's, that's the Lord. A lot of times I don't even know. Sometimes I do, but not all the time. But they're a gift, and we need to esteem them as such. God said in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30, those that esteem me, I will esteem. Those that honor me, I will honor, is what he said. But those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Well, when we despise his gift, then we would despise him. Now listen, take that over into Jesus. Jesus was a gift to everybody. And when we do not give ourselves as the fruit and the harvest of the gift and seed of Jesus, we're despising the gift. We're despising the gift. This is going to lead over into communion. Thank you, Lord, for connecting the dots. He says this. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers. All of them have different uh, roles. They have different giftings, callings. Why did he give them? For the equipping of the saints. For the work of service or the work of ministry. To the building up of the body of Christ. The body of the anointing. Christ is not just Jesus' last name. It is the anointed one and his anointing. And so what you see is that he gave gifts to men in the church for the building up of the body of Christ and the equipping of the saints. You realize that the pastor is not supposed to do all the work in the church. It's the whole body that does the work. And the pastor's job is to lead them and grow them so that they will do the work that they're called to do. And what is the work? To minister to the Lord and to minister to the people. To be the salt and the light. To win souls. Make disciples. To, to grow in their spiritual fruit. For the, for the growing up of the body of Christ. Look here. At verse 13, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the maturity or measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That belongs to the fullness of Christ. In other words, 
A pastor's job is to not leave you sitting there, but to grow you up to the point where you are walking in Christ's maturity. That's Bible. And one other thing I want you to see right here. Look at verse 12 and 13 again. It says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of what? Christ. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure, what measure? Of the stature, the measure of maturity, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now both times he used Christ there. Like I said, Christ is not just, not just Jesus' last name. Christ defined Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God. The word Christ means this, the anointed one and his anointing. The anointed one and his anointing. So when you put that in there, you see that we are supposed to grow up to the measure of the fullness of his anointing. So we're supposed to walk in a spiritual level of anointing like Jesus walked. Remember what we said in 1 Corinthians 12:1. We said this. We said concerning spiritual things, I would not have you ignorant. We've got to give ourselves to put down our flesh and grow in our ability in the spirit so that we will walk in the anointing that Christ walked in. That we will walk in the power that Christ walked in. So that we will walk on the level that Christ walked in. And you're not going to get there by you know, 1230 hitting and you're about to have a fit because it's lunchtime. It's past lunchtime. That's not how you get there. That's your flesh and giving in to your flesh. And as long as you give in to your flesh, guess what you won't give in to? The Spirit. And so you've got a whole body of believers going back to the question. You know, Danny asked, he said, look, why is the church not operating this? Why don't I see the, the church of Acts in the church today? Because as believers, we've given ourselves more to the flesh and to the sorrowful feeling of the flesh than we have to giving ourselves to discipline and going after God. And we've decided I'm going to be comfortable more than I'm going to be in the church that God has planted me in. Or place me in. I'm going to be comfortable in that place. I, I'm going to go to the place, you know, that, and, and I get it. I, I get it. I've been there too. I'm going to go to the place I've gone to always. Or I'm going to go to the place where, where the kids is the best one ever. Their department is the best one. Look, we're, we're looking to have the best kids play, place here in town. To have the best ministry for children here in town. We want an over-the-top children's ministry. And we're working to do that. Right, But if we don't have it, doesn't mean that somebody shouldn't go here. They need to hear from God and say, hey, is this my place? They need to say, I'm going to be obedient to wherever you place me. Lord, I've got to be. And you see that by the fruit. Are they winning souls? This week we went over 1,800 souls won. This year. This year. 2019. Are they seeing the fruit of God? Well, Miss Natalie answered that a few minutes ago. Are they teaching? Are people growing and, and operating at higher levels in the Spirit? You've had so many testimonies in the last few weeks of that. Miss Felicia's been seeing, seeing things in prayer that's just amazing. 
Many of you have been seeing it. Miss Sharon's been seeing it. Marky's been seeing it. It's just amazing. Things are happening. Things are growing. You have all the markers and the fruit of a church that's actually doing their job. Many times when you see the power of God in a church, you won't see them winning souls, or you'll see them winning souls, but you won't see the power, or you won't see revelation. You've got a church that's doing all of those things, and that's when you say, all right, I've got to give myself. I'm going to plant myself, and when God puts his finger on my issue, you, I'm going to just deal with it instead of hiding it under the carpet. I'm going to deal with it. But why? Because I need to grow up. We need to grow up. We need to walk in a place where we're praying with people, leading them to the Lord, getting them filled with the Holy Ghost. We need to get to the place where when we pray, something happens. You know, God's Word doesn't say that you pray and nothing happens. It says when you pray, one of the fruits of walking in maturity is you pray and it happens. And it shall be done. I'll hear you and it shall be done. These are the kind of things that we need to walk in and we need to live in. But it comes, hear this, all the way back full circle. When we minister to the Lord and we say, Lord, my decisions are not mine. They're yours. Lord, my thoughts are not my thoughts. They're yours. I'm giving you me. I'm giving you my decisions. I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you me. One of the best places that you can do that is in communion. When you remember the price that Jesus paid, and you say, Lord, if you paid that price, and you gave me you, I'm going to give you me. I'm going to remember it and esteem it properly. The word says, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, think about me properly. Remember the price that I paid. Remember the passion and the love that I had when I shed my blood and gave my life. Remember the cost that it had in my life. Don't just brush it under the rug. Don't just go through a little... You know, don't just go through an action but not think about what is represented in your hand. It is the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that's represented in our hand. It is his blood that he shed willingly. At any moment, he could have come off that cross, but he made a choice. I choose to stay up here for you. I'm choosing to not relieve myself, but to relieve you, to minister to you from the wrong choices you've made, from the sin, from the mess. I chose to stay. And as you have that in your hands, I want you to remember the price that he paid. But I also want you to know what you have in your hands, what it did for you. When he gave his body to be broken... He gave it so that yours would never have to be broken again. It says on him he was, he was given with so much sickness that he, and he was beaten 
that you couldn't even recognize him as a man. I think it's in Isaiah. You couldn't even recognize him as a man. He did that so that you wouldn't have to. He was the substitution. Everything in the word was that Jesus would take your place and he would have these things done in your place so that you would never have to go through it. That body was there. One of the great things I never really liked, uh, uh, the crown of thorns. I didn't fully understand it just not too long ago. The Lord just opened it up to me. He said, thorns were a part of the curse. They said the ground would produce thorns, but they never produced before the curse came into the earth. And he said, because of the curse, there'll be thorns, and you will live by the sweat of your brow, right? You will live by the sweat and the toil as you toil in this earth that has thorns. Jesus wore a crown of toil, a crown of thorns. He wore a crown of the curse so that you could be crowned with his favor and his glory. He wore a crown of toil and the curse so that you could say, I walk into this job I interview, I've got favor on my life because I'm a child of the king. Because somebody already paid the price. You're not saying that I'm having favor because I'm me. You're saying I got favor because Jesus wore that crown. He wore the crown in my place so that I could wear it. Understand, this is a gift that he gave us. And many people have not been utilizing it. They've been sweeping that gift under the rug, not realizing the price that he paid so that you could be blessed in his body he took sickness in his body he took toil in his body he took the fullness of the curse so that in our body in our physical lives we could walk in the fullness of the blessing that's what's in your hands in that blood we were redeemed we were forgiven we were reconciled. We were justified. We were sanctified. In that blood, so many things happened. And we were cleansed by the blood. Remember this, the Bible teaches that the life of the, of the man is in the blood. The life is in the blood. And when Jesus gave his blood, he said, Here is all the life you will ever need. The I gave my life so that you might be full of it. The life is in the blood. This is called by many people the miracle meal. It says in, in Corinthians, it says this, that many are sick and actually many have died because they haven't known and esteemed what's actually in this miracle meal but he, in other words you don't have to be as you take this you can receive what Jesus did in his body and by the blood and you can be healed just while you take communion just while it's there you can receive as you receive the blood you receive life straight into your being in a spiritual sense and that manifests in the physical sense so yes, let's esteem the price. Remember the price and the love that Jesus paid. But let's esteem it to the full where we take the gift that's in the body and the blood and we start to walk it out and put faith on it. Let's not be lazy with our faith. Let's not be lazy with our faith. Jesus put some presence inside of the body and the blood. He put some gifts there. Let's esteem those gifts and let's put faith on them and see them manifest the way that they should. Let's walk in the fullness that he paid for. And let's also walk in so much fullness and abundance that we have enough to overflow into the lives of the people around us. Amen. Father, right now, thank you for your son. Thank you 
for your son. Jesus, thank you for your life. Holy Ghost, thank you for raising him up from the dead. We praise you. Jesus, we recognize and we remember the love, the price, and our redemption in full. And we apply it properly. You gave us the fullness of your life. And right now, tonight, we give you the fullness of ours. Just say this with me. Just say, Jesus, you're my Lord. You're my Savior. You're the Savior of my life. You're the Lord of my life. You're the director. You call the shots, and I'll be obedient. And I believe that you took all my mess, all my sin on you. And that took you to the cross, to death, and to, to the grave. And I believe that you, that you freed me. From all that sin. And I believe. That God brought you back up from the dead. And he raised you up out of that grave. And I believe. That you didn't leave me in that grave. That when you raised him up. Ephesians says I'm raised up with you. That I'm seated with you in heavenly places. I'm not in that place of death any longer. I believe that in the blood and in his body, I am healed, delivered, protected, restored, and prospered in every way. It's a part of the gifts of salvation. And I ask you right now, Jesus, for help to live this life. I'm asking you to baptize me with the Holy Ghost and fire like your word says you will so that I might be empowered to live in fullness and to be your witness in Jesus' name. Now just meditate on that, on his price, the love. Father, we thank you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your body. And your blood, in Jesus' name, amen. You can take it, the bread and the cup. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Lord, we just received the miracle meal. Let it change us. Let it move us to different places, higher places. Lord, right now, we receive healing in our body. Right now, we receive the fullness of your plan. Right now, Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, we receive good ideas. We receive God ideas in business, in our family. We receive it. We receive wholeness. Lord, we receive all of those things. We receive your plan, and Lord, we'll be obedient to your plan. We praise you. We thank you. Thank you, Father. Glory to God.